You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. After years as a CEO in the not-for-profit sector, Linda Goldspink-Lord quit the safety net of her job when her health took a turn for the worse. In 2012, Linda experienced every parent's worst nightmare when her daughter Molly was killed in a tragic accident on their property in the Illawarra. Having also recently lost her mother and suffered major health problems of her own, Linda had to find a way out of the darkness back to the light. Trying to recover from grief, Linda explored how her health was having an impact on her mental well-being. She looked into links between the gut and the brain and made some big lifestyle changes. When her horses were struggling with their overall health, Linda looked into gut health for horses and so Poseidon Equine was born, a scientifically formulated gut health supplement for horses. After that came Poseidon Canine and Satan Sinner's alcoholic kombucha. Linda shares with us her story of how she's built resilience after great loss and why she'd never go back to the nine to five. She also talks about her latest book, Crawling Through the Darkness. Meet my friend Linda, business owner, author, speaker, and incredible storyteller. Hello, Linda, and welcome to our special five-part series in celebration of International Women's Day. Thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure, and I am so looking forward to speaking with you about how you've built resilience after great loss, why you'd never go back to the nine to five, one of your many businesses, your book. I mean, there is actually so much. <laughs> and I feel like we're not going to get to all of it um, in a podcast and, and wouldn't do all of it justice either. But given that we're talking about the nine to five, I thought, you know, could you give us a bit of a lead up to your role as a CEO in the not-for-profit sector? Sure. Look, I had the most amazing opportunity as a fairly new graduate from uni. I was working in the drug and alcohol sector and ended up being a CEO at the age of 22 or 23, wow. I forget now. And I look back and think, really? What what made you think you were actually you know, capable of doing that? But I'm so glad I did. And what was amazing was I was thrown into this role that I had to learn and I learned a lot. But working in the charity sector has its own challenges and I'm sure we'll chat about that later. But that's what, you know, I guess I've always been wired to want to have a job where I could actually have purpose and make a difference. So I started working in drug and alcohol as a CEO and I was there for a long time. Wow. And at 22, that's absolutely remarkable age as well as gender as well, Linda. Like you wouldn't find too many 22-year-old CEOs. Um, Did you have any mentors then at the time or, I mean, was there a lot of self-doubt at that time in what you were doing? 
That's a great question. And I look back and think, no, there wasn't. I just felt like, why couldn't I do that? And, you know, we'll talk about resilience later, but growing up in a family, my mum and dad would always, I guess, encourage us, but take responsibility for the mistakes that you make. That doesn't stop you. You know, you go out and, and try. And I was very fortunate because I did work in a very, at the higher level in the charity sector, sitting on boards, it was very male, you know, dominant. And I don't remember ever thinking, well, you know, I'm only female, I shouldn't be here. No, I just had this innate, like, come on, why, why, if it's not you, why not you, you know? So probably I knew that I had a lot to learn, but I was also then driven, if I don't have an answer, find that. I did get a mentor, but it was further along, and I think mentors are so important. And I, I do a lot of that now because I feel like you can learn from other people all the time. Yeah, um, I know that that's something that I'm always looking for a mentor, and I think when I stopped looking, I found the right one as well. So, um, <laughs> now you quit the safety net of that job um, when your health took a little turn for the worse. Do you want to take us through that period and what had happened? Sure, and it was interesting that the term "quit" <laughs> because I was actually, I think, I was sort of pushed and shoved. Literally, I was loving my job, but yes, it was a nine to five job. However, it just was so much more than that. And, you know, you're not getting paid for those other hours, but I still did them because I love what I did. And I think like a lot of people, I was trying to do everything. I was super fit at the time. I had a challenging job. I had three children that were young. I was trying to volunteer at the school. And what I've now learned is that we really aren't wired to work so hard all the time and my body gave me warning signs I ignored them I didn't have time to be sick I didn't have time to get off this you know fast-paced treadmill so literally my body just said enough's enough and I collapsed at work and I look back and think you know really it was a gift but at the time I remember being in hospital on 24-hour supervision and ringing work and saying okay I'll be back next week and you know I never returned back to that job but it was literally started the journey of learning about trying to find balance in your life because we tend to want to overachieve. And maybe I was working harder because I was younger and female. I don't remember that being a conscious thought, but I think as a mum, you know, you want to try and be the best mum you can be and then you're trying to be the best employee or the best boss. Something has to give. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the terrible thing is that I've heard other women say that they've ended up in hospital. So, you know, the fact that it is actually quite common, there are so many of us. And I think what you said, and I need our listeners to hear this, we are not built to work so hard. Like, as you said, you know, you have a a really high paced job at a high level. um, And then you're doing school duties, um, like committees and that. And, you know, oh my, no, no. I've got four, Linda, and I refuse to, like, I just know that that will be the straw that breaks my back um, to do canteen duty. Good on you to know your boundaries, because I certainly didn't. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, to to look after kids as well is always just one of those things, you know, they require a lot of our energy and and time. And um, And rightly so, you know, rightly so. And I feel that as mums, we do try to do everything. And motherhood is such a wonderful, privileged role. And 
I look back and think, gosh, you know, why did I think work was so important all the time? Yes, you've got to pay the bills, but there's got to be balance. Yeah, there does. There really does. Now, there's sort of no way to step into this next section um, of of your story. Uh, You didn't go back to that job or back to a nine to five either. Um, You obviously had something, you know, um, quite big that happened in your life that, you know, many people don't experience. Um, Do you want to take us through that? Sure. Look, I think I was probably about well, there's a few few parts of this story. In my recovery, because I was very sick and I was bedridden and, and very unwell for a long time, my parents who lived in you know, country Wagga would come down and look after me and I noticed my mum was sort of slowing down and thought finally, you know, she was starting to appreciate life, but I didn't know she mm-hmm. had terminal cancer. Oh. And mum passed away, I think, 12 months after I first got sick. And that was just, you know, when your mum passes away, the world's a different place. And it certainly was for me. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, my health, my job, my mum, this is hard. What Mm. am I going to do? And and started to, you know, appreciate that you've got to make every day count. But then three years after that, I think, I mean, look, time has no meaning for me, really. My beautiful 13-year-old daughter, Molly, was killed in an accident on our property and, you know, there are no words to describe what that does to you. And so then the, I guess, the real journey, the real challenges started. And as we mentioned earlier, we could do a whole podcast just on that. But what I've learned is when you hit rock bottom, you have to find a way to, first you've got to, you have to want to get up mm. and then you have to figure out and then, and then what, and then how do I keep going forward? So for me, I learnt about what's important, what are the priorities, and I, you know, I learnt so much along the way. So, yeah, it's it's been, you know, and every day I still, obviously, as a family, we deal with the loss. Yeah, yep. And as you said, like trying to recover from grief is both mental, physical, it's your health, it's just everything um you know when that all sort of come to a point where you sort of thought yeah as you said like I need to get up I need to want to get up um you know what what improvements did you start making what changes to your life you know how did you go forward differently there's so many things that I had to do but I think the first thing was you know I was a mum I was a wife I had you know their needs to really worry about but I also knew that I had a right to still live a life of purpose and one of the things that I learned is that death and loss and grief is just not talked about and unfortunately when it is spoken about it's all about well the really negative things you know your marriage will break up you'll never be well Mm. again your children will just go off the rails and I just wanted a different possibility. And I look back at the history of my life and the theme of resilience has probably played, you know, all the way through that. But something that I did, which is really interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about my businesses in a moment, but I, apart from the whole finding the right support and doing all the more traditional things, I literally changed the way I ate and I learned about the power of gut health. And this is, again, another thing that I'm really passionate about because what a lot of us don't understand is that what you eat impacts every aspect of you, including your mental health. And for me, 
that was the game changer that gave me the innate resilience. I talk about it in my book that I've just written about how changing what I ate and reducing the amount of sugar and processed food was like my grief had a buffer over it and also had more clarity. So it helped me in so many ways. Yeah, I like how you said that what you eat put a buffer over your grief. That's a really interesting way of, I suppose, um, describing food of what it can do. Like, can you remember then back when you were a CEO, Linda? Like, what was your diet like back then? Like, oh, <laughs> I know it might be a no, while ago. No. <laughs> Great question because I look back and go, how did I get so sick? And I actually had a virus in my brain, and that's why I, you know, I collapsed. And and it was interesting looking back again that. You know, I'd had other things go wrong, but I think I'm always thinking, thinking, thinking. And it was almost like it went to my point of vulnerability. My brain was so overworked. And at the time, there was a big push for low-fat food. And I've always been, you know, health conscious, weight conscious. and But I didn't know that low-fat food was full of sugar. And also, and I cringe when I think about this, I used to drink a lot of diet soft drink because, again, it was promoted as a healthy choice. So... Whilst I thought I was being very health conscious, really I was having a very high sugar diet. And what we now know is that then can cause what we call leaky gut and all the, you know, the, the bad stuff that hangs in your gut just basically gets through the gut wall and then finds a place to create havoc and it shows up in lots of ways. And for me, it was like leaky brain. And so I think about the stress of my job, the hours I was working, the travel, I was really fit. I'm not saying exercise is bad, but extreme exercise is actually really bad for your gut. And it all just, you know, resulted in this terrible moment. And so, you know, I I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So you have this obviously um, interest in gut health and you didn't go back to a nine to five. No. And I know you have several businesses. (laughs) How did all this happen? (laughs) Well, once I learned about quitting sugar, I and then I felt the changes, I was actually, part of me was quite angry. It's like, why isn't this being spoken about? Because, you know, well, many people would talk to me about the different types of medication I could take to manage my mental health. And and I'm not I'm not against antidepressants in any way, but what I was concerned about was why aren't we understanding the power of what we eat so once I learnt and my and my seizures stopped my clarity came back as I said my grief became just a little bit more manageable mm. which meant I had more ability to cope with my children's grief and everything else that was thrown at me and so I just went well if it's true of humans is it true of horses and I love horses I have 14 of them and so I went okay well let's find out what we can about horse gut health And what I realised is that people basically didn't know about it. So again, well, I thought I can do something different. Horses help me as part of my grieving and they still do every day. They give me such joy that I wanted to give, it's like giving back to them. And so we started on this journey of finding out what products are out there, what do we know about gut health. I sat with leading equine professors whose eyes would glaze over at me going, what are you talking about? And then we started creating these amazing gut products and the change in horses, oh, makes me so proud of what we're doing. And the thing that's exciting about what we're doing is that we know that gut bacteria, as it does in humans, affects your behaviour. And so many horses 
don't get a chance in life because they are stressed, they're anxious, they're ill, all these things, you change their gut bacteria, you change their life. And again, same as same as humans, it's it's quite phenomenal. So every day I get people contacting us saying, thank you, you saved my horse's life. Thank you. I get to go for a ride on my horse now that I never could do before. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it is so it's so exciting. And I tell my beautiful horse, who's the reason we started this every day, I said, you know, because of you, buddy, there are thousands of horses living a better life. So it was, you know, and it was, so it was a no-brainer to go into the dog, you know, the dog space, which we started last year. And it's a, a newer concept because it's funny, dog owners don't seem to make the link between skin conditions and behaviour and anal glands and constipation with the gut. So we're we're finding it a different space but that's okay and and then we also created saint and sinner our new alcoholic kombucha (laughs) (laughs) and then that's for adults so covering all spectrums yeah and it was a selfish project because now i'm so sensitive to sugar finding an alcoholic drink of choice that wouldn't make me feel so sick and also i'm so conscious of managing my mental health that it was, I used to make my own kombucha and I used to add my choice of alcohol to that. And then in the COVID lockdown, my son, who was at the time in his last year of law, I said, hey, let's, you know, I've had this idea for years, let's look at it. And so we did. And it has, it was launched, I think, October last year. And it is, it is so delicious. And there's, you know, no sugar, it's low in calories. And it's a drink that I can drink without having all the, you know, the horrible side effects of having too much sugar. Obviously, it's alcoholic, so you still have to be responsible. But, you know, it's, it's amazing looking at my journey, how it leads to this moment in time. Oh, absolutely. My gosh. Um, it, so you're obviously, like, how how do you become a business? There's so many questions. So just wait, Linda, the first one I'm going to ask. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, you're working in the, you know, the veterinary science space. Like that in itself is just huge and then kombucha and all of this. But um, transferable skills. Okay. What yes. skills did you take from your nine to five? So, you know, um, as a CEO of a not-for-profit and apply to your business? Mm. This is probably my favourite question you've asked me so far. And it's something that I am, you know, really keen to share with more business people. That at the end of the day, people want to be listened to and respected and connected. And in the charity sector, we had to do that all the time. If you're asking people to change behaviour, they need to at least feel connected with you and it's all about relationships. The other thing working in the charity sector, we had to, you know, collaborate and work together. So I think, you know, obviously I worked in a very specific area, but from that, from my nine to five job, I took away those skills. Also needs assessment, asking people rather than assuming you know what their pain points are, actually asking them. So what I have found in the commercial world to my surprise, that often relationships are not supported as much as they could be. And, you know, like little things. I was really fortunate to do a, a talk recently with some business women and we're talking about little things. Like, you know, you go to a coffee shop and they might be really busy serving someone, but they don't at least look up at you and smile and wave or give you an acknowledgement they've seen you. You kind of go, well, you know, I don't feel very welcome here. It's those little things that make people want to connect with you Mm. and for me creating real relationships 
has been the biggest thing I've taken from what I used to do to what I do now. And for me, that's what drives it. It's relationships first and then, you know, action comes second. Mm. Uh, Do you have a team behind you helping you with all this? I have an amazing team. Surprisingly, there's not a lot of us in the company. There's only a, we only have a small team of employees. But what I've done is I've created an amazing team of consultants that work with us, so that people can play to their strengths. And you know, the business world has changed, which has made it easier than ever to not have a nine to five job. Like, look at us. Here we are, just mm. connecting. It's it's a different world, and marketing's changed so that. When we first started, we had one person that did everything, our copywriting, our marketing, you know, our social media. Now we've got this great team that, you know, they'll just specialise in copywriting or they'll specialise in graphic design or they'll specialise in logistics. And that, you know, that's what makes a huge difference. And then as we change and the business evolves, it may be that I need a new skill set. So because one person can't do everything and, and we need to know that ourselves. We can't do everything. I'm really good at delegating. It's I wasn't so good when I got sick. <laughs> I try to do it all myself. Now I know I play to my strengths. What do you consider your strengths? Hmm, okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> be very biased. I think my resilience really and and that how that shows up is that if there's a problem, rather than going, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do with this, it's like, okay. Do I go around it? Do I go through it? Do I just sit with it and let it, you know, it'll go away eventually? It's finding opportunities and seeing solutions. And also part of being resilient is knowing that sometimes, you know, you get these challenges, but you learn from them. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You learn, you do something differently. I spoke about the dog product. It hasn't, it's not flying off the shelves like the horse one is. So we're going, "Hmm, okay, what are we missing? What is the difference between a dog owner and a horse owner, and they are very different. So being resilient about grabbing every opportunity and seeing whether it fits. So I think that's probably my biggest one. And the other thing is too I've learned that every day is a blessing. And I don't say that lightly. I really and truly mean that. And every day is a gift. And, you know, I haven't always lived like that, particularly when I was working too hard that you have to have balance because why work so hard if you can't appreciate the, you know, I start every day sitting out on the veranda. Our house is 180 years old and I sit out there with my husband and we have a coffee or a tea or whatever and we just sit and we let the dogs have their brekkie and we just go, we're grateful for this day that lies ahead. And that, and that is hand on heart how I live my day. Do you struggle with bookkeeping or wonder how your business is doing financially? Yep, me too. Meet my finance friend and sponsor of this episode, Sarah Henney from Henney CFO. Sarah is based in Longreach, rural Queensland, and is empowering women to make confident financial decisions with her new flagship program, Bookkeeping for Profit. 
This unique online bookkeeping and business course provides you with the information, systems and support you need to set up your own business, understand GST, read a P&L, manage cash flow, all of it and more. Work through the online training at your own pace with weekly support and access to a community of like-minded businesswomen from rural and regional areas who, like you, want to change the game, have a crack and be confident in their bookkeeping because you've got to know your business to grow your business. If you want to know more about the program or register for a free masterclass and work with Sarah, head to the show notes or find Sarah on Instagram at Henny CFO. Now back to the episode. I was just um, envisaging your property, Linda, like as you said, just, you know, big veranda, old home, um, just absolutely. Oh, and horses, just fresh air. Um, Tell me about COVID then. What has the last two years been like for you um, living where you do and, and in terms of your business as well? COVID, that, they're asking lots of really great questions. We've been really fortunate in that even prior to COVID as a family, we have learned that, you know, don't look too far ahead, don't look back, just take the day as it comes and have had such tragedy that for us, you know, we are a resilient family. So COVID didn't actually, you know, I think when it first started, it was scary, but we actually took as an opportunity to do things differently, to pivot, you know, at every level. So with our businesses, we were pivoting in terms of if we can't meet our clients face-to-face, how do we connect with them? So we did a lot of things differently online. This is where I use one of the skills I'd learned through collaboration in the charity industry you know we we align with a whole lot of other really you know well-known equine companies who weren't competitors but had a similar ideal customer and we did some great online competitions and you know things like I can't remember what the app was that we used, but they would increase their chance of winning if they, you know, liked our socials, if they invited friends, which meant our social media following grew, our email list grew, and then we started to embrace all those other, you know, they call it omni-channel, which is a really sophisticated way of saying, you know, we use emails, we use websites, we use social media, and that was fantastic. And it was really interesting because when I approached these companies, they were just like, but, you know, this is not what normally happens. Businesses don't work together. And we did, and it was fantastic. And we had we had a lot of growth in the first year of lockdown. I've noticed this second year has been a different experience. I think people are being much more conservative and cautious how they spend their money, and rightly so. So again, we're looking at how do we, what does that mean for us? How do we pivot? How do we change? And we just keep evolving. But, you know, we're in the animal space and people will always do something for their animals. So we were very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just uh, talking about that whole omni-channel, like do you put more value in your email list than your social media? I'm just interested to know. No, increasingly we are. I feel like people are getting a bit, I don't know, they're a bit exhausted about being on Zooms and webinars and things like that. And even I think some of the social media channels are losing respect so we've actually really been creative with our emails in the last six months and it's really paying off. It gives me, as a company, we're all about education first. I don't want people to use our product and still feed their horses the equivalent of a really fast food diet. So it's about all the ways we can improve their health. We can do that through emails and there's so many amazing women out there doing incredible things. There's a lady that we met that's doing a great 
app. I think it's called Convert Dial. Hope I'm allowed to say that. And what you do, you, you take your Shopify stats and your Quavio or whatever else you're using, and it comes up with what's a, a cold list, a warm list, and a hot list. And then you can then do targeted strategies depending on what segregation they're in. It's really been interesting and it's really paid off. So I feel like emails are a very underutilised resource. And so anybody listening, if they're not capturing email addresses, you're really missing out on an opportunity to do it, but then be strategic about how you use it. Absolutely. Um, I do a lot of social media training uh, to rural businesses around Vic, New South Wales, and, you know, that pays the bills for me. But I think one of the things that I say in those workshops is I know you're here for social media, but please be building your email list outside yeah. of it, you know. Yeah. Um, gosh, Instagram can disappear in a moment. Facebook yeah. is so unpredictable and just useless, to be honest. Um, oh, absolutely. And as you said, you know, it's it's there's – yeah, we've lost faith in some of these platforms in what they're doing and how they're doing things. Um, mm-hmm. They do work together and we still use them. Like I really like my Facebook group so I can really connect with their audience. But early on we had a, such a big reliance on Facebook and it was useful. But there was a time when Facebook, I can't remember, something happened that made us realise how vulnerable we were. We thought, wow, Facebook are just, they're calling the shots at the moment and I don't feel comfortable with that. So was you own your email list. And I did hear some interesting Somebody was talking about when, you know, ever down the track you want to sell your business, that often they'll buy the business based on what's your email list like. So it's actually an asset as well. Oh, a huge asset. Um, I think because we can buy followers, uh, you know, I mean, I I know friends in the early days who got caught in that, you know, you'd have an, a, a business you know, sort of given to you and they said, oh, look, and we've also got this social media um, audience that come with it of, you know, X thousand. Uh, and then when you dug into the the background, you know, most of those followers were from Russia or, wow. you know, they're just Gosh. not your target audience. Yeah. So this was Gosh. really early on. I want to sort of say like the last six years sort of thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, obviously it had happened, yeah, quite a bit around that time. And whereas your email list, as you said, is something that you've cultivated yourself. They're people yes. that are really interested in what you're doing. Yes. Um, yeah. Just treat them like gold. They really, Absolutely. they're just oh, little gold stars. But um, yes. we got off a tangent then. I still think there was great value in that. <laughs> sharing these things because we are a new company so we've had to come in and do things differently right from the word go yeah. and I've learned some I learned three magic words the other day which I have been using over and over things have changed and I can't take credit for seeing those words it was on I was on some webinar and it's such a great term because it's about saying yes we've done it this way in the past but things have changed and for us as a company we have absolutely embraced this whole e-commerce digital marketing and it's been really interesting. We don't have sales reps. We don't have people going out to stores. In fact, you know, we, we meet people, where are they at? And where they, they're online. Mm. So, you know, of course, relationships and meeting them face-to-face and we go to events when we can, but when COVID was on, we couldn't do that. So how else can we meet people? And yeah. It's, it's really exciting. We basically started our business on Facebook and then it's grown and grown and grown. It's probably one of the number one, you know, horse gut supplements in Australia now after four years. Wow. Wow. Now, there seems to be a lot of highs in your business. Um, have there been any hurdles, any biz hurdles? 
The hurdles for me, there's a, there's a few. It's finding the right, I guess, talent staff to come and work with you and that is challenging because we are a dynamic, diverse, constantly evolving business and not everyone wants to work in a space like that. Some people like really clear, consistent days. So that that has been a challenge, but I've learned to kind of trust that the right people, if they don't stay, they step out and, and you just, you know, you value the time they're there, but that has been a challenge. The other challenge we have at the moment is that we've identified the equine gut space as a really hot space. And so now there's lots of other companies trying to, I guess, copy what we've done. And I had this great quote sent the other day and it was fantastic because it just reminded me, you know, people can copy your ideas, they can copy your content, but they can't copy your integrity and your authenticity. They can't copy who you are. And that's what I think we've just infused Poseidon with is our love and our intent so it look it's hard it is hard when you see competitors coming out and basically you know doing things and you go gosh you've even used our copy so that's the challenge and what else has there been I have to keep reminding myself of the word balance again and that's my mantra this year balance because I love 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 what I do and I've learned from the past that you can't keep working at that pace because something gives so my challenge is about harnessing all my enthusiasm and energy and being really strategic where I use it now yeah I think that's really important Linda Um, when you do launch a business and as you said you just love it and you're so passionate about it it doesn't feel like work at the time that's true (laughs) that's the tricky part I think and then just knowing that if you as you said you keep on that you know, in that lane at that pace, um, you're going to hit a roadblock at some point. Uh, So, yeah, just got to, yeah, just stretch it out, you know, take little breaks. Um, It'll all still be there. Oh, and, you know, actually, I love quotes and I'm always gathering them. And I heard another, you know, good one that's used a lot. You don't sprint in a marathon. And I have to keep remembering that. Don't sprint in a marathon. Just take it. But you do have to, if you're going to take a go away from a nine to five and have your own business, there is an absolutely an element of, you know, being all in. So you do have to still be, you know, it's a different, it is a different approach, but it's about knowing that you have to, you know, you might do an after hour Zoom as long as you then make up, you know, have that time off the next day or another good tip I got learnt last, I got taught last year was that when you overschedule, there's no room for compassion in your life. So if something goes wrong, like a staff member sick, rather than going, oh, you okay? It's like, damn it, what am I going to do today now? And when she said that to me, it was like, yes, okay, I need to slow down. So I've got time to sit and have great chats with people like you. Or if I, you know, I have a lot of, you know, sadly people reach out to me that are newly bereaved and they just want to know that they're going to get through what they've been through and I need to have time to be able to do those things. So it's it's that real balance that and don't sprint in a marathon. No, there's actually a beautiful little segue there, Linda. I love a segue. Um, <laughs> as you said, just people reaching out to you that have may have you know recently lost someone as well. Uh, you are also an author and uh, have recently released a book. Yeah, Crawling of the Darkness. It's- yeah. Great title too, by the way. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. And do you know what's really interesting about the title? And this is the first time I've shared this publicly. I actually haven't felt comfortable sharing the background oh. of the title. Literally, I have learned the power of meditation and trying to quieten my brain. 
And about five years ago, which when I, I knew I wanted to write the book, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but I was literally doing this meditation and I heard the words crawling through the darkness. And I went, what was that? So, oh my goodness, that is the title of my book. And the reason why I wrote the book is, as I mentioned earlier, when Molly died, the story was just one of complete, you know, your life will never be the same again. And and it isn't the same, but it's still a life of purpose and joy. And I wanted to show that there was a different possibility. And I wanted to wait, it's coming up to 10 years, and I wanted to wait till I was really ready to share my story. And I feel like the success of the businesses is also a way to say, hey, I really do mean what I'm saying, that you can still have a life of purpose even after great loss and I want to encourage conversations around death and loss and the amount of people that have reached out to me the book only launched two weeks ago and I'm proud to say we sold out the first print run so I've oh now, wow yeah but, but I'm loving the the conversations the honesty people that have held on to grief for 30 years are contacting me and saying you know thank you you've I understand why I did what I did or I now know it wasn't my fault or I've now spoken to my son about what's going to happen when I die and it's, you know, it's such a privilege to walk that journey with people and a beautiful man reached out to me. Actually, I was given a book early on in the days and there's not many grief books I actually really like but which sounds funny saying I've just written one but he gave me this great analogy because after I read his book I contacted him and he got straight back to me and he, and he gave me this great analogy and he said that grief and when I talk about grief yes you know I've, I've experienced you know incredible grief with my mum my daughter but grief can show up in so many ways it can be you know breakdown of a marriage not being able to have children it can be loss of a career you know grief has so many you know elements to it but when you first suffer some sort of major loss he likened it to a mountain and at the time all you can see is the mountain but as time goes on the mountain blends into your landscape and when he told me that I went I love that analogy and so I use that in the book to explain that in the early days of loss you know you sit at the base of the mountain it's dark there's no sound there's no one with you you just sit there But interestingly, time at the base of the mountain is really important. And some people will then sadly stay there forever. And that's not what I did. Or they'll sprint to get away from the mountain through, you know, avoidance, running from grief, whatever it takes. For me, it was this real developmental stage, you know, sit, then crawl, then walk. And so... It's every step along the journey taught me something different and that's what my book's about. So that's where the title came from and at the time I didn't actually know that I would use the mountain as the analogy in the book so it works out really well. Yeah, it does. Oh, Linda, I um, I could just sit and listen to you just tell stories. I think you're a storyteller. I really do. There's just something <laughs> away, yeah, that you explain things and um, – I'm going to finish this podcast and see if I can just absorb anything else that you've done in the media landscape and (laughs) just take it all in from aspects of of business and, um, yeah, obviously your author, being an author and writing the book and and all of it. And I could pull everything apart even more, but I actually want to save some because I feel like there's (laughs) 
I need to do this again. So to wrap us up, my favourite, favourite question, can you tell me about a friend of yours that we need to know about? So when I thought of that question, there are so many people that, that I could mention, but I love horses. And I mentioned earlier that I am really, you know, I want horse owners to know how to feed their horses better and look after them better. So we had one of our consultants, actually, Dr. Nerida Richards. She is an amazing lady. She's based in Tamworth. And she has set up this incredible online program where people can actually get on and figure out how to feed their horses. So I love that she's done this all on her own and she's really making a difference as well. And I work really closely with Nerida and she's just, you know, she's like me in that it's it's about the horse comes first and the business comes second. Beautiful. We have to find her. Although I I know that we have people that listen to the podcast that are horse mad. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, obviously, um, yeah, go and uh, do the Google and you'll definitely find her that way. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you for being a guest today, Linda. It has been an absolute um, pleasure and it is the first time that we've spoken. Uh, And I just want to thank Erin from Chuckle Media who connected us um oh she is she's absolutely wonderful and I just really appreciate that um she's just so in line with Oak and knows what stories that yeah will connect I know this one is really going to connect um obviously you have your book so I'm going to go and find a copy for myself and make sure that everyone knows where to find it as well so I'll pop it in the show notes um on our socials and all of that as well as the saints in a kombucha I'm really <laughs> interested in that <laughs> Can I, I look I am biased but it is particularly delicious oh, watermelon nice. and there's passion fruit and pine Ooh. lime coconut and surprisingly guys are really loving it they're stopping the beer and drinking the you know saint and sinner so shout out to the men as well perfect love it um I'm not a horse person but I do have a dog we've just got a dog um so I'm all over the canine um gut health support so going to have a look at that for him and yeah it's a game changer it will good you know you give a dog a great gut and they are just the happiest most content resilient animal I didn't even know my puppy's been on it since birth and I've never seen a dog so, so happy and so resilient. Oh, my God. Mm. Will he stop um, wrecking my rugs, Linda? I mean, sure it's just that. killing me. I'm not, not sure about that. Um, anyway. It me a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, thank you so very much. And so um, oh, I just can't wait to connect again. Anytime. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>